Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock. I'm excited to have with me today Gretchen Smeltzer, PhD. Did I say it right? Yes, you did. All right. Yay. <laughs> so welcome. I'm glad to be here. Um, I've been enjoying your work. So. Oh, thank you so very much. Yeah. So we, I just was saying before we started recording, one that I, you know, when I stalked your, your website, I connected on so many levels to one of your blog posts that I really want to want to talk about the the GPS one because so you, you your work is in the trauma realm yes yes okay um you know I do my blog covers mostly trauma I I wanted it up there to help people understand trauma better and also try to create a different conversation around trauma that kind of respects how hard it hits how long it takes to heal um, depathologizes it. Um, and uh, allows more people into the conversation, um, having enough information so it doesn't just stay with the experts. Um, right. So that was my goal. But in, in looking at healing, I also really um, look at things like parenting and understanding growth and memory and learning. All those pieces come into play in healing. So um, I sort of branch out in different places. Yes. One of the things that I read was in your work with, with clients is how many of them quit because it's either too scary or too long of a process. And so your book, I think you address about that exact thing of sticking with it and really the journey of healing. Right. I mean, part of my motivation for writing the book is, was just that, that, you know, people come to therapy to feel better. Right. Like, and that's what everybody in their world tells them. Oh, go see a therapist. You'll feel so much better. Right. And, and that is true and not true all at the same time. Right. I think we, you, there's a sense of relief and knowing that you're getting help, but in healing from trauma, you often feel much worse before you feel better at different points in time. And if you don't know that you think you're doing it wrong or you think, you know what, who has time for this? Or, you know, I, I wanted to feel better, so I'm out of here. And so I wanted to help people know where they were. When I went, used to go backpacking in the White Mountains, like you'd look at the map and where the lines were really close together, you knew you were supposed to be miserable because it was really, <laughs> right? You had, yeah. you had some validation that for this amount of time on this trail, it was going to be ugly. And then you get to a nicer place. And I feel like for healing, um, for therapy, for a lot of the sort of all in the mental health world, there's not enough maps for the people going through it. I think therapists get a lot of information, actually. I have lots of books that say, you know, that's going to be really hard for that person. But right. I don't feel like on the other side, there was enough explanation um, to help, to help uh, have people have patience and compassion for themselves. I love that. I, I tell people that in the podcast, you know, I always end with be gentle with yourself. And that's, that was a huge, I think the two things I learned, I did EMDR therapy, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing for anyone listening. And I, I did it for four years, 98 sessions. And we kept circling back to the trauma, but two, two of the things that she taught me, my therapist taught me was, was be gentle with myself and to just notice. And so when sensations would arise, when panic or anxiety and uh, body memories would come back around, um, just yeah. noticing without judging what was happening right. were too huge. But yeah, the, the being gentle with myself, I really, that was a whole new concept for me. Yep. Um, um, it really kind of took me back like 
what? <laughs> it's sort of that one of those like simple but not easy instructions, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. So the five steps in the book, the, the title of the book is Journey Through Trauma, A Guide to the Five-Phase Cycle of Healing Repeated Trauma. And do you want to talk about the five steps at all? Sure. Um, so I, I'll start out actually with the whole idea of repeated trauma. So much of trauma, when it's described either in the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder or kind of out in the world, the symptoms describe much more the experience of acute trauma, trauma that might happen once from a car accident or a, a violent event, right? But um, repeated trauma has a different effect on people and it requires a different healing process. So repeated trauma really has three forms of trauma. It's what did happen, so the whatever events did happen over the course of time. And then the protections or defenses that we create to survive it, that essentially over time can become part of the fabric of who we are. They become your personality or they become just the way you are with people or out in the world. And then it is also, the third thing is what didn't happen. So the, the growth and development you weren't getting or doing while you were experiencing trauma. And part of the reason I think that healing from repeated trauma is so hard is that we, you know, as a culture, we think of the first form, what did happen. We get people to tell their stories or um, kind of name what happened, but we don't let, give enough time to the next two, which is how do I untangle the defenses? How do I untangle the protections so that I'm not using the old rules anymore? And how do I start um, experimenting and being brave enough to do the things I didn't get to do, right? Um, so those three things require a kind of a different way of approaching the healing journey, I think. Um, and because they, it requires sort of multiple passes, um, and it's not, it's not sort of a straight shot Yes. or, a, you know, the three easy steps to, I used to joke, right. well, I used to joke that I wanted to write the book that was like 4,000 really difficult steps to change. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just was envisioning my head. Mine was kind of like this, this back, no, this way. <laughs> Oops, we did this a little bit. Then we came back. Then we went that way. Yeah. yeah I mean, just really hard. Um, so what I, I looked at, you know, I, I grew up in the psychology world of really good thinkers. So, you know, I, I studied Judy Herman's work coming through my education that had three phases, which was really safety, remembrance, and mourning, and reconnection. Um, what I did was just, you know, start looking partly at the language and also kind of at the black box nature of remembrance and mourning and trying to come up with language and some categories of uh, action that might help people know a little more specifically what gets done. So in terms of safety, I decided to call that first part of the work preparation, partly because as a trauma survivor, even if it's called safety, you don't feel safe yet. And so you're always in conflict with the, um, the language around it and, you know, feeling like, oh, you need to please somebody saying like, oh, yes, we're working on safety, but you have no earthly notion what that means. Um, so I think from a therapist's point of view, it totally makes sense. Like I'm more helping this person work on feeling more safe, right? That, but from the client side, I'm not sure that that made much sense. Um, 
So, and there's, I think it encompasses the work that needs to get done. So if, if you and the therapist or you and your group or whoever the intervener and the containing forces um, can look at what needs to get done during that time. So, you know, what are, what are the resources that person has out external resources, internal resources, um, the relationship between the therapist or helper and how can you, what, what, what needs to happen so that feels um, strong and connected and how do you prepare for emergencies or crises so that, that you have some sense of what's coming. And so once you do that and that, for, you know, for some people, that's two weeks. For some people, that's two years. It's not a, a determined period of time. So once that happens, in some ways, the next phases come when somebody does feel safe enough to start letting some of the defenses down. So it, you move from preparation into what I call unintegration, which is things start coming apart. But it's, a, it's an intentional coming apart. And this is the part where most, you know, where most people would quit, like, I'm done, I'm, you know, I'm having these big emotions, what we might call emotional flashbacks, or um, I'm feeling like that I don't, I'm not on solid ground anymore. I used to have a way of always dealing with this, but now I'm trying to give that up. So now how do I feel? I'm, I'm shaky. And it's different than disintegration which is that you fall apart, right? That you um, actually go back to the worst things you ever did to take care of yourself. That's not the same as unintegration. I, in my book, I use the example of the um, temples at Abu Simbel, where they were going to um, build Lake Nasser and they had to move the temples up. And in, they didn't knock them down. They took them apart stone by stone oh and rebuilt them on the shoreline of the new lake. Yeah. Um, so crazy. Um, and I hate to interrupt, but just for yeah. a second, because as you talked, I had visions of like someone in a fortress and just slowly taking the walls of defense down. Like it's yeah. a purposeful act of, yes, of, of taking it apart. And, and it, you do feel very vulnerable because all of a sudden you don't have all this that you've put in place. Right. And yeah, so I get it. That's exactly what I envisioned. Yeah. Right. And as things come apart, so the thing is that well, as things come apart, you're having um, emotions or parts of the story or that the way um, traumatic memory works is that it's not, it's not written down as a paragraph. It's almost like random words and feelings spread out. And as you, as they come up that you move to the next stage, which is identification, which is naming those pieces, putting language, some language to that experience, right? Uh, whatever the pieces are. And as you're able to do that, you suddenly start getting little pieces of a whole, which moves to, to integration, right? And that's why it's a loop, which is that you're not going to probably get your entire life story in one loop, but you'll, you'll get pieces. I had um, a client who put together a thousand piece puzzle. And, you know, when we were sorting the puzzle, you know, you dump the puzzle on the table, that's unintegration. When you're picking up the pieces and trying to figure out what they are, that's identification, right? So like it was a, a puzzle of ember of emperor penguins. So you pick up a white piece and you're like penguin, ice, sky, you really have <laughs> oh, right. been any of those. And then you'd you'd make a decision. And the truth is, 
and you know another two weeks goes by and you realize that wasn't sky that was penguin right so as you i think that what's important as as you're going through this cycle they're all um hypotheses that they're, they're all you're guessing you're tr it's an experiment all the way along and not some just uh necessary truth with each statement right right um yeah and what what popped into my head there was you know with EMDR, I would have these, I would think of them as crazy random thoughts pop into my head, but I knew that they were memories. I knew that they were connected to something and yeah. most likely to a trauma that we were tapping into. And so I would just talk out loud about, I don't know, I'm flying over, you know, a bridge on a tricycle. I mean, just crazy, like weird little things like that. And, but I had, at the time, such a horrific fear of bridges. And so we were, I, my, it was my brain trying to come. Yes. Find some sense of this, this thing that was haunting me. Yeah. Well, and partly, you know, the way, uh, you know, our emotional memory stored in our amygdala mostly. And so that the way memory gets stored, it's just not in, um, you know, novel form. Right. down and and it sometimes takes some passes to get at what you're trying to say or what what it means right yeah um so once once you start putting together the pieces that's where the past can become the past that's where you can see a, a more integrated whole of what you experienced at any given level of this and um and when the past becomes the past two things happen one is um that experience of mourning that Judy Herman talks about, that when you can see it, you can also say, wow, I lived through that, right? That it, it, it feels different. And simultaneously to that, I think you also get these moments of new beginning that where you suddenly realize if that was then, this is now, and so what now, right? And it, there's a little bit of space that opens up where, you know, when you, most people who've experienced trauma for a long time, stop living in anything but an ever-present past. They're just trying to protect themselves from the trauma they've already lived. And when you can finally see it in the past, you suddenly get like the present and the future in a way that you would not have gone. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and then the last phase is consolidation. So there's a way after, after that sort of information hits and can, can sit somewhere, there's a period of time and there should be a period of time where you actually just live with it, where you aren't trying to get to the next thing. Um, sometimes it's a planned break. I've had clients where we said, you know what, for these next three weeks, we're not going near the trauma. You're, they were, you know, going, getting married or they were doing something in their present life that we wanted to block from the trauma actually. Right. So sometimes it's a planned break and sometimes it's just a rest period. And then at the end of that, you move back to preparation by saying, all right, what worked in this cycle? What didn't work? What do we need to pay different attention to? And you get to come back to it through that conversation. Yes. Yeah. And it, I love the circling back around because it's almost like you're picking up more pieces like, oh, I didn't see that before. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. I have, and we, and we would have more, um, more connection, more capacity to manage a difficult conversation. And with each pass, you get that and can learn more about um, how to manage the trauma in relationship. 
you know, most repeated traumas are repeated relational traumas right there. And so part of what you're trying to mend has to be mended in relationships. So this preparation phase and how it gets done is as important as what is getting done. Yeah, absolutely. Amen and hallelujah. <laughs> so tap into me or tap into now about the, the GPS because I'm, I'm dying to get to it because okay. again, when I read it, I just, it was such an hallelujah moment for me yeah. uh, about trauma. So um, I'll, I'll just sort of repeat that part of the story, which is that I was in my brother's truck. Um, he lives in Nashville and I was um, looking at the screen and it occur occurred to me as we were talking that his GPS screen was broken and wasn't actually showing where we were. It was a map. Um, sometimes it was Missouri. Sometimes it was Idaho. It, but wherever we were driving, it was showing that we were somewhere, but we weren't where we thought we were. Um, and when I looked at it, I thought, oh, my God, this is just like living with trauma, that you, you have an internal GPS that's saying, you know, this is where I am, but you're in an external world, which is not where you are. And I wanted to shout at the, at the console, like, stop, this is it. This is exactly what it looks like. My GPS thinks we're in the middle of the lake. <laughs> and you're, you think I'm on a highway, you know? Yeah. I, again, I read it and I, I just, I wanted to scream at, at, at your blog, like, yes, that's it. You know, cause how many times I'd be here in this, you know, life right here and now, but I'd be flashing back to 1988 or right. Yeah. Right. And it, you know, the visual was so helpful because it's, it's a physical experience often. Right. And, right. and, you know, I, sometimes I used to try to describe it that, you know, you're sitting at a table, dinner table with everybody who seems to be having a lot of fun and you feel like it's raining on you. Like you're soaking wet, you know, and everybody else is dry and clean, but because of where you're sitting, that's what the experience is. But the GPS really does feel to me oh. like it's perfect because you are trying to navigate your world with this data that you have that doesn't fit the your present situation. Yeah. yeah. You're constantly trying to make it fit. And, you know, that, and that's one of those symptoms of trauma that you're not going to find in the DSM, right. <laughs> you know, that, that it really interferes, even if your flashbacks go away and like all the big symptoms go away, these are the things that interfere with daily life. They interfere with your doing the job the way, your job the way you want to do your job. They interfere with you being in your marriage the way you want to be in your marriage. Like this is where the rubber meets the road in terms of really being able to live a healthy adult life, right? Yes, right. And, um, and, you know, being able to slow down enough to sort of say, all right, these, this is my GPS. This is what it's telling me. It's not real, right? That's the, you know, that's the what did happen. Yes. Um, and, you know, I'm doing, all my protections are trying to keep that GPS in place, right? Everything I'm doing is trying to keep the old rules in place because I think I will go off the road. I will drive off the cliff if I don't stay on my, on my map, right? Yeah. But the, and that's where the risky part, that's the unintegration part, which is 
all right, I'm going to take that map apart. I'm going to walk, in some ways, I'm going to walk blind. I do not know where I'm walking because I don't have experience walking in this world, in the, in the map I'm living in, right? Yeah. And that's what, you know, that's the hard part. And I think we have to help, you know, that's the ch- conversation I want to change. I will, we need to help people s- tolerate that risk. We have to be like, yeah, you're doing it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you go. Um, yeah. You know? That was, I was just going to say, you know, the, I want to throw some hope on it in that it's difficult, at least for my personal journey, as difficult as it was to walk into each of those 98 sessions and to know I was going in to face, you know, that, that history, right? Yeah. And that I, you said a tangled, tangled something earlier and tried to untangle it. And I, I had a vision of that. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Christmas Vacation, but he, he has this gigantic tangled ball of Christmas lights. And that's how I always envisioned it was like, okay, I'm going to try to get one little strand at a time here. But yeah. I knew I was going in. But I always walked out, even though I, you know, had may have had tear stains on my face, feeling just a little bit more on track, a little bit yeah. more enlightened, a little lighter load. Um, and so, yeah, my encouragement to people is, yes, keep, yeah. keep, keep doing it. Yeah, you get to be whole. You get to be all you, right? Yeah. You get to use your gifts in the world. You get to live in your the life you're creating. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm all for it too. Um, Very cool. Awesome. So any other things that you wanted to tap on and talk about? So, um, my book focuses primarily on the, in some ways on in more on the individual level of healing, like any person could pick it up. Um, and I'm also doing a, a lot of work trying to help communities heal, um, issues that where trauma is the root cause and understand the impact of trauma at the community level. So um, maybe 20 years ago, 16 years ago, I um, got pulled into a phenomenal project by a friend who had started a consulting company and they um, got a request to help four different countries strengthen their response to HIV and AIDS. And one of the four countries was Cambodia. And at the time I was working as a therapist um, with kids and families around Boston. And um, really my life goal was to be like the chief psychologist on a child psych unit at that point. And then my friend Fran called and said, you know, come help us think about how do you teach emotional intelligence to people who've lived through trauma because Cambodia had just come through the Khmer Rouge. And so I went down and chatted with them about that and we looked at their design and, and then uh, a month later they called and said, come work for us, come do leadership development. Um, Cause it was a leadership and in, uh, development intervention in a public health situation. So, you know, with a fork in the road, <laughs> I jumped ship from my old dream and went and started doing leadership development and spent, uh, made 11 trips to Cambodia in four years. And, you know, started looking at, so it was really helpful for me to see, you know, trauma at the large system level. So I had sort of kind of worked it at every level of system from individual to family to groups, and now really a country. And 
Um, and that's part of really what helped me write my book was to start to see the patterns at every level of system. So it, it, the cycle isn't different. It's just the, what, you know, what the behavior, what you might do might be different. Right. 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 And um, so I was actually just out in Eugene, Oregon last week working with their homelessness operations team, the people who on a daily basis are trying to serve their community and also serve the, the homeless population through in their daily work, even if that isn't their job title. Right. So if I'm, um, head of the parks department or I'm a fireman or, um, um, you know, all of those jobs interface with, um, a very traumatized population. And some of those jobs like police and fire and EMT have trauma built into their jobs anyway. Right. So, you know, it's been very interesting to try to help people understand, you know, the impacts of repeated trauma and how those might show up and impact their own leadership. Right. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, under stress and narrow my focus because I'm under stress from trauma, you know, I'm not going to do the same job as a leader as I would do if I were less stressed and I had managed that. Right. And that has all sorts of implications for these very large scale community issues. Yeah. And again, just so I'm just blown away how the more we find out about trauma and the impact that it is having, not just on individuals, but just how it it filters out. Um, Right. You know, under uh, under stress, people are less likely to take in um, information from the outside. People are less likely to seek out people who are different than they are. You know, so if you think about community, the implications for community, it's massive. And um, and then there are a lot of issues. I've worked with communities around the opioid issues. I've worked with communities in Alaska around domestic violence and sexual assault and child maltreatment. So, you know, you add, you look at most of these issues and underneath them is trauma. Yeah. And, you know, in the Cambodia days, you know, we could slow, we could slowly, we had to slowly get there because it was a war and, um, and we were working through translation and things like that. I think where I am now is I'm actually, I feel like we don't have time anymore to let the community get to the fact that it's the root cause. (laughs) I'm uh, now I'm, I, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm 54. I got uh, 30 years left Uh, (laughs) to to do something. Uh, Let's just start with the fact that if you know more about trauma, you could probably be helpful. We still do the leadership work. We still do other things to help them engage their community. It's not all trauma. But if we don't name it, I feel like um, we're wasting time. Yeah, right. And, and I think the light has been, sh- well, it's just shining more and more and more on it that I, more people are starting to be to understand, oh, yeah, that probably has to do with trauma. <laughs> well, it's really interesting. So when I started, I really, it took me about 10 years to write my book. Um, and, and then I finished it and there was about two years of trying to find an agent. And actually, so I started my blog because I was trying to find an agent and I wasn't having any luck. And somebody, a friend of mine said like, start a blog. And I I thought, well, nobody, nobody reads those, you know, in my mind, like I, I just thought it was like, there's just all this information, but I thought, well, on the safe side, nobody reads them. So it's a perfectly safe Right. Activity. So I created a blog and started writing and about six months into the blog, 
I wrote a piece that, you know, I wrote a piece and I'm like, oh, it's kind of sappy. Maybe I'll put it up. Maybe I won't. And then I remembered nobody reads it. So it'll be perfectly safe. So I put it up and it went wildly viral, like a <laughs> million hits. Oh my Lordy. Don't even believe it's true that, you know, like only cats on roller skates get that kind right. of <laughs> And it's called the, um, the letter your teen can't write you. Um, letter your teenager can't yeah write. I saw that on the parent page but I hadn't read it yet there was the second one down yeah totally went viral and um an editor saw it and went to my page and saw I had a manuscript and she said send it to me so I did and she's like oh you know our publishing house doesn't do the kind of work you're doing but I took the liberty of sending it to an agent and um and that you know a couple of different conversations with agents that week and then literally that week I got a, oh. an agent and um took me so it took a while to write the book um and then the book comes out into you know the Kavanaugh hearings and the Me Too movement and like this wasn't the context I wrote it in right I wrote it in a context where it was still very the whole idea of trauma was lodged in the mental health world and um Columbine had happened, but not Park, you know, not Aurora and Parkland. And like in the intervening years, trauma has become part of most people's experience, actually. Right. Right. You know, it's not, I think it's, it's not a, it's not a specialty anymore. It's, it's part of what needs to be in the mainstream conversation so that we understand both how to heal it and then perhaps how to, create more, you know, that preparation phase we need to now start doing in our communities. Yeah. Um, a way that I don't think we thought of before that, you know, only in special circumstances or it, those were, those were, you know, people's private problems, but they're not private anymore. Mm-mm. No. And I'm glad they're not because they, yeah. need to be, they need to be talked about. Well, one, it does, makes people not feel so isolated. I know when I first started putting my story out, I did it on Facebook to my friends yeah. and just bleh, I finally started putting it out there. And holy cow, I was so amazed by how many people reached out to me privately through private messenger or text or phone calls or whatever. Oh my gosh, me too. I mean, right. like truly. I experienced this or I experienced that or yeah. And, and just, they had never told anybody before. And um, I think now that the conversations are happening, right. um, it's, it's just helping people find their healing paths. And, you know, I think what's really important is you have to move past just the saying your story out loud. Yes. Testimony isn't enough. And and I feel like there is, you know, maybe it's from the old kind of like talk show movement or whatever, that there's a very high value on um, tell your story, right? Um, But there is, the the value isn't on, and now work with it. Yes, right. (laughs) Right, now, and now work with the things you did to survive, and now work with the things you didn't do and have to learn awkwardly as an adult, right? Yeah. I, I feel like in some ways we get people to come out and then we just leave them on a the docks. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And that's why I say, you know, I always talk about being on the healing path because the healing path is you, it's your journey and you have to figure out a way to then navigate it by filling your toolbox with is whatever yeah. it is that you need to heal, um, yeah. you know, that, that trauma. Yeah. 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 Very cool. 
So any myths or facts that you would like to clarify for listeners? I mean, I think the biggest myth is that, you know, it, A, that it's, there's a quick fix. Right. Um, And, you know, and I think that another myth is that you're all alone. (laughs) Um, You know, this is, I feel like the tale of the mustard seed really applies. Like, as you were saying, the, all the me too's, Um, you know, I think the, I forget the name. I feel badly. I forget the name of the woman who tweeted, like, you know, tweet me uh, a story of your sexual harassment and um, 27 million people replied. Right. So that you're like, you're super not alone out there. Um, And I I think the other myth is that you can do it, that you can do it alone. You know, this is, we live in a, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, self, self self-help, right? Right. Um, And there are things that you can use self-help for. I'm not knocking self-help, but healing from trauma, I think isn't one of them. I, if, you know, if you were hurt in relationship, actually you have to mend in relationship and it requires it. I think um, the idea that you could just go off and do it by yourself is a myth. And um, I want to, I think that people try almost anything they can before they sort of have to lean on somebody. And I want to encourage them to do it sooner rather than later. (laughs) You can get a lot of those years back if you don't do that. (laughs) I wish I had, you know, it all happened the way it was meant to happen, but had I known sooner um, instead of, because I battled with severe panic attacks for 25 years. And I think 25 years. Yeah. Um, just trying to, again, go back to what, what you wrote about, trying to navigate through my life and my world with a map that I was like, I don't know, I don't know where I am. I don't know what I'm looking at. Why do I keep running into things? <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, brilliant. I just love it. Love yeah. it. All right. Um, how's our time? All right. We're doing good. Uh, oh, I have to ask you my favorite question only because it's my favorite question. Okay. So if you could meet anyone in the world, dead or alive, to help you with your journey, whether it's your professional, personal, or both, who would it be? It would have been Nelson Mandela. I, you know, I feel like he walked through fire. Um, and in the work I'm especially trying to do in communities, I wish I had... I don't know, his solidity around that, you know, um, and his ability to hold um, people, all kinds of people with compassion and thoughtfulness. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm a hundred years away from that level of patience, but <laughs> I aspire to it. You know, I, if, if I could learn it, if I could get it through osmosis. Yes. Right. Right. Oh yeah. What a gift. What a gift he gave so many. Yeah. I mean, right. if, if I, you know, if I were going to do a whole dinner party, I'd add in like Maya Angelou. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> it's a counterpart. In some way. Oh, that's a good question. I should, I should add that one. If you could have a dinner party, who would you invite? <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, in some ways I, um, in the work I do with leaders, I talk to them about creating like a personal board of directors, like an imaginary board. Oh of yeah. Directors. Yeah. Right. And those are people in my imaginary board of directors, yeah. right? Who um who feel they're not my ancestors, but they're I feel like I can 
I aspire to their thoughtfulness or their um, integrity. Um. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, beautiful people. I had a podcast guest once say, you know, create your dream team in your head. Who would be in charge of marketing and who would be in charge of, you know, this. And that was fun. I mean, yeah. 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 Great to build that team of who you would surround yourself with. Yeah. Right. Cool. Right. All right. Anything else you want to want to touch on? Um, you know, I my biggest sort of thing I try to carry out into the world that is similar to what you're saying, healing is possible. Like you don't have to be stuck there. And um and not only is healing impossible is possible, but you can you can live in a way that you can't imagine if you, yes. if you actually, you know, do the hard work of it. Yes. And, um, and when you heal, you give other people courage to do the same. So it is, it's exponential. When, um, when other people see you take risks, you're more willing to take, they're more willing to take risks. So it's really worth it. It's worth it, not just for the individuals, but it's worth it for whole families and communities. Um, yes, agreed. And, I, and again, I just want to reiterate to people that you, you can, I always thought, I'm finishing up a manuscript myself, and I always thought I had to be fixed, cured, not broken anymore to, to finish my story. But the beauty of it is that being able to live this life filled with tranquility and joy, which yeah. I do while still on my healing journey, because do I still have panic attacks on the highway? Yeah, actually I do, <laughs> but I'm aware of it and I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. And it's, and I look at life as an adventure as I learn more about how to, how to get through these moments that, that may come back around, that I may circle back onto with my trauma. But I, I can still be joyous and I can still be tranquil. And I think everyone can get to that place. I truly believe it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. Cool. All right. Well, I thank you for joining me on the podcast. And again, um, just... You've, you've enlightened me in so many ways and um, just brilliant. The GPS thing, I'm still going crazy over it. So, yeah. Thank you so much for having me and letting me share my stories. Absolutely. All right, everyone, until next time, remember to be gentle with yourself. Thanks for joining us on the Healing Place podcast. Bye-bye.